Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another Silver Club Podcast. This is episode 54 with the Wake Forest star, Amelia Miliacho, who's coming fresh off of a Curtis Cup victory over in Wales with her team. Now, you may also recognize Amelia's name. She's not going pro. She's working on blazing her trail in the golf media landscape, and we'll get to her in just a moment. I hope you were able to download episode 53 with Scott Draper. I know this is kind of tennis time in the world. The U.S. Open tennis championships are just finishing up, and Scott was an unbelievable story of hardship and overcoming all sorts of obstacles in his life to become both a successful tennis professional as well as a golf professional. So check that out in episode 53. Now we're giving Colin the week off this week. His Yale Bulldog team is just starting back up in competition for the fall. A big shout out to the team. They just won their very first event back after over a year of being out from all of the COVID break and came back with a big, strong victory. Congrats to Colin and his Yale team. And I hope your summer has been a great one, and I hope you've been able to get around and play some great golf courses and really test your game, And because that's what the Silver Club is all about, all about competition, camaraderie. We've seen some great golf over the summer. The FedEx Cup just wrapped up. Patrick Cantlay taking home the FedEx Cup title, edging out Bryson DeChambeau and John Rahm and so many great players in the world. The Ryder Cup is coming up. The Solheim Cup just happened as well. The U.S. team just took it on the chin. Great championship at a place we're actually going to be visiting in a few weeks at the Inverness Club. We've got a great team match against some members up there at Inverness. But man, didn't Inverness look great on TV and play nice and firm and fast for all the best women players in the world. And it was a great spirited match. The U.S. almost nabbed it at the end, but they just missed on out. We'll see if the men's United States team can fare a little bit better up at Whistling Straits. I will be up there watching the action and being a part of it. I hope you are too. Now, it's been a whirlwind summer for the Silver Club Golfing Society. We've been around the country crisscrossing, going every which way, and playing some of the greatest courses out there, the architecturally significant venues, if you will. A little bit of a recap of how our summer has gone. We had a great event at Old Sandwich up in Boston called the Tea Party. And Chad McGraw, I've got to say, has been on a tear this summer. He's played some unbelievable golf. He is our points leader, very well in hand at the moment. He took the title at the Tea Party as well as a few weeks later at Kodak Moments, great event we had up in Rochester at Oak Hill and Monroe Golf Club. Just some classic, great designs. Then in July, we made the trek out and really into the middle of nowhere in Ballyneal, about three hours east of Denver in Colorado. Just an outrageous facility and venue to host a, our match play major we called the High Plains. Rob Valero from New York outlasted Jonathan Goldstein in our final match, and we had a fun, fun shootout there. But just some spirited competition, a wonderful, wonderful venue we had to experience out there at Ballyneal. So peaceful, 
You could see the stars. The sky was so perfect out there in Colorado. No streetlights to uh, inhibit your view of the galaxies out there as well. And we had a really fun visit by Zoom from Bruce Hepner, the main man in the great construction of Bally Neal. Bruce gave us some great stories about working under and for Tom Doak and creating that masterpiece out there in the Chop Hills of Colorado. We took a few weeks off and then we visited Chicago just recently. Played an unbelievable classic up there called the Onwensia Club. Just a fantastic design. Nick Papadakis, the golf professional there and his whole team just put on a great show for us, and we absolutely loved playing it on Wencia. Big shout out to uh, Texas Trio, who had a lot of success there. Patton Nelson fired the low round in Silver Club history. Five under par, 66. It's not a net, everybody. That's all gross right there. And Patton really put on a show there in Chicago. Some great play. His fellow Texans, Matt Morgan, fired 70 to finish runner-up. And another friend and fellow Texan Shane Quimby fired 73 and won our Evans division as well as our Scotch division, which is our fun name for the net, fired a net 68. Congratulations to Padden and his five under par 66, just tremendous playing there. And he moves up to fifth in our SCGS championship points race. But like I mentioned, Chad McGraw has really put a stranglehold on our points this year and big congrats to him right now. One of the coolest things we've done though, uh, just before Chicago, went out to Pumpkin Ridge and we had our event out there called the Anniversary and it was the 25th anniversary of the great U.S. Amateur match. Got to go around with our players, tell them great stories, go in different spots, show them where Tiger did this or I hit the flop shot in on the 28th hole of the match and we're able to just go out there and relive some unbelievable memories out there in the Pacific Northwest, the Witch Hollow course at Pumpkin Ridge was the venue for that historic third United States Amateur Championship in a row for Tiger Woods. Turned pro the next day, signed with Nike, which is right there. We we definitely all hit up Nike uh, <laughs> during our visit out there, probably too much, but just an amazing visit out there. We actually got to play Waverly Country Club as well, and uh, just wonderful, wonderful time out there in the Pacific Northwest, reliving that great U.S. Amateur Championship from 1996. Just a big shout out to the growth of the SCGS thus far. This is kind of the end of our third season, although last year wasn't a full season, but I'm really proud to say that we have 34 states out of 50 in the U.S. represented in our membership, as well as the province of Ontario. We got a few Canadians as well have joined our list, and uh, just can't thank all of our members enough for coming on board and really believing in our camaraderie-infused golfing society. We've had a great time traveling around the country, and I really want everybody to come and join and be a part of this really special group. We have a great time, and you, you get a sense of that through our Silver Club Golf channels on Instagram and Twitter, and we just uh, we have a tremendous time and can't thank everybody enough for being a part of of this special group and really spreading the word about the game of golf. And that's really what it's all about. Just having an opportunity to meet people from all around the country and share this great camaraderie with single digit handicaps. And we've got a lot of great players in our group. Anybody who's a single digit or plus handicap is certainly welcome to come out, enjoy and experience what the Silver Club Golfing Society is all about. 
Now we're getting down to the final few events of our schedule for 2021, and we're feverishly looking at next year's schedule of great architecturally significant venues. But we've got a few team matches upcoming in the next few weeks at the end of the month. We'll be at the venerable Belle Reve Country Club in St. Louis playing a great eight-on-eight match versus their members. And then we'll move quickly over to the Inverness Club, and the great work Andrew Green has done that we all saw at the Solheim Cup. We're going to play another eight-on-eight team match against some Inverness club members as well. And then in October, we visit Prairie Dunes out in Kansas. We come to my hometown, the Old Town Club. Great Perry Maxwell, redone by Corin Crenshaw not too long ago. Just an unbelievable venue that's home to Wake Forest Golf here in North Carolina. And then we make a great trip up to the Pittsburgh area And we play a couple U.S. amateur venues up there that we will uh, let you imagine which one those are. But uh, we're going to play a few unbelievable places up there in Pittsburgh just prior to our Silver Club Championship in mid-November at Old Waverly and Mossy Oak in West Point, Mississippi. Old Waverly has held some USGA championships in the past, and it'll be a great venue to really put a bow on our third Silver Club season and crown our captain of the golf for 2021. This is a great time to jump on board with the Silver Club. Just hop on our website, silverclubgs.com. Fill out our web form. We'll get back to you. We'll let the dues roll over all the way to the end of 2022 at this point. It's just that time of the year. We want to hear from you, and I'm happy to speak with you like I've done with everybody who's come on board, so can't wait to chat with you. Just want to thank our sponsors, the Turtleson Company. Andy Plate and his whole team does an unbelievable job at creating some great products that look amazing, and their customer service is off the charts, as well as Lewis Wellen and the team at Torch Eyewear. Unbelievable and beautiful products to put on your face and protect your eyes. And the Winston Collection, Andy and Drew, And their customer service is off the charts. Their product, I know you probably use their towels, their head covers, but they have so much more. Check out the Winston Collection as well. We can't thank all of our three sponsors enough for supporting our society over our existence. Don't forget to download and subscribe all of our 54 episodes now of our Silver Club podcast. We've had Zach Blair. We've had J.J. Killeen. And we've had the team from the National Links Trust on just this year. So get into the fabric of what golf is all about and get into these great stories that we love to bring you each and every episode. Okay, without further ado, let's get to this week's podcast with Amelia Miliacho. You're going to love what you hear from Amelia. Amelia, welcome to the Silver Club Podcast. I should say welcome back. We had you back here uh, with your teammates on episode 37. How's it going? It's going great. I'm I'm loving life right now. I mean, fresh out of Wales. Now I'm in grad school and learning a lot there and interning in the athletic department. So yeah, it's it's been going really well. Thank you for having me again. No, it's so great. So great. The uh, you know, it's yeah, it's kind of neat that we're you know, we live in the same town, Winston-Salem. We get to uh play at the Old Town Club and Wake Forest is really a, a great program, obviously. And you uh, exhausted your four years there, but you decided it was so great. You wanted to come back and uh, have some some time uh, as a get your grad degree in uh, communications, right? 
Yes, exactly. Education has always been really important to me and something that I really value. So when I, you know, kind of realized that I had the opportunity to go to grad school under a teacher's assistant scholarship, I took it right away and I've loved it so far. And it's been really nice. Wake is a small school. So our, our communication program is pretty small. And we're actually, um, our communication program is the in the top five in the country behind Stanford and uh, USC. At least that's what my department just told me. So if it's wrong, <laughs> then you can blame them. Uh, so I'm just really proud to be at Wake and in the communication area. Yeah, so great. So many great mentors there. So a uh, you know, wonderful school, definitely a, a smaller school. And I mean, how did that fit with your personality? I mean, going back, you know, I guess probably five years, I guess you spent four years there, but, you know, deciding to go to college, where, where else did you decide to go to school before you chose Wake? Luckily, North Carolina has great in-state schools. So I visited Carolina, Duke and Wake. I knew I wanted to go to school with good academics. That wasn't really a question. It was good. I was so young that I kind of wasn't swept with all of the in, you know, incredible, you know, the, some huge schools. They have all of these stuff and everything's really big. And as a young kid, that like made me nervous a little bit. So going to Wake, having these massive facilities, but also sort of a smaller campus, I just felt really at home there. I felt really welcomed. It's a very welcoming environment but I was between Duke and Wake and when I visited Wake again I don't know it's a feeling you get a lot of people say that and it's probably like frustrating because you're like well I haven't had that feeling yet I'm visiting <laughs> schools but you do get it and I mean it's been truly a blessing. Well you had a lot of obviously the, the programs there over the years have been so great uh, we had one of your former teammates on Jennifer Cup show on our episode eight way way back uh, we're in the 50s now with our episodes, but uh, but how important was the friendship with Jennifer? And, you know, she was, what, two, three years older than you, right? So what you learned from her as far as just the her golf game and how that maybe spurred you on? I learned a lot from Jennifer. I mean, I looked up to her before before I came into college. I was really excited to be teammates with her because I knew I would have a really good role model in golf. And I mean, it was great. Like. I think we both, we helped each other because I came in as a freshman and I could shoot some low scores and get really close to you know, what she was shooting. And so she was trying to remain on top and I was trying to chase her. So it was a sort of a healthy competitive friendship, I would say. And I mean, I think that's why I had such strong freshman and sophomore years because she was there I was always trying to chase her whether it was a putting drill or you know we had qualifying and I think that's so important on a team and even you know going into my junior and senior year we had really good freshmen Lauren Walsh Rachel Keene and and it's it's so important to have that competitive drive on a team so then then I was the person who was like okay well I need to try to stay on top and I love it. Like I love the back and forth um, that we all have. And it just, it's just such a key factor into propelling just a great team. Yeah. That's, that's great to always have that, that inner team rivalry, but friend, friendly rivalry for sure. And you mentioned, you know, we talked about Jennifer. Uh, she's obviously moved on to professional ranks. Uh, do, what sort of uh, eye did you keep on to the Solheim cup this last week? Yeah, I wrote, 
some Solheim Cup match recaps for Golf Channel. So I was very, keeping a very close eye because I had to be very <laughs> updated. You have to get the recaps out like 10, 15 minutes after the matches end. So you don't have like a nice two hours to collect your thoughts. <laughs> so I was definitely keeping a close eye. It was really cool to watch uh, Cup and Lizette against um, Mel Reed and Leona McGuire when they had that half point match and i mean it was it was so cool to watch her and uh, yalimi no also i played on the junior solheim cup with her so i'm i'm good friends with her and and to see her on the solheim cup obviously Leona and i played with her to see all of them on the solheim cup was just really cool i mean i'm not turning professional but when i when i wanted to it was just such a drive for me i was like okay i see my peers on there and i know i can be and now i'm just so proud of all of them for just achieving such a big goal yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, in a few minutes for sure, your your choice to remain an amateur. And I think that's it's very admirable, the, the whole the whole way you're going about it. But uh, and you mentioned Golf Channel. I mean, you did a uh, internship. I imagine maybe you're still now you're back in grad school. So maybe that's going to be taking uh, certainly more of your time now starting in the fall. But this summer, you spend a lot of time Golf Channel, whether it's writing, whether it's on course reporting. Talk about that experience so far and and kind of what you love about that whole side of things i know you're mastering in uh communications so uh talk about that whole side of things with golf channel i've loved my work with golf channel and i'm doing a little bit here and there during the semester but it's good that i'm still in the system so it's not like it takes a whole process to start back up again but i've always loved writing ever since i was a kid and to be able to write on the best players in the world, the best amateurs in the world, and also highlighting uh, the APGA tour and, and just other things in golf. It's been amazing. I mean, I love to make, I love to highlight people that stand out uh, in their profession. And I, I have really enjoyed to be in that space and doing some on-course reporting has been super fun because it's just very close to how I played on a college team because you have a team of people, you have the producer, you have the people in the booth, and then I'm on the course and we're all working together. We're all focused for, you know, however many hours trying to put on a great show and it's all behind the scenes, which I think is really cool. So people will watch whether it's golf or football and say, oh, wow, that was really good, but they don't quite know why, but everyone behind the scenes knows why it was so good and it's so happy about it. So I've really enjoyed broadcasting and on-course reporting because as close as I can get to playing a round of golf, um, playing competitive round of golf, but getting so, and getting so much fulfillment out of it. And then we all have dinner afterwards and talk about, you know, the, the different, you know, things that happened and it's, I mean, I, I, I've just loved it. Cool. And who did you learn the most from kind of on the on-course stuff this year? I know you, I, I heard you on to the, uh, the U S girls junior particularly. Uh, and I know you did a couple other, well, who did you learn the most from and what was maybe your, your top uh, one or two experiences doing that this year? I would definitely say I learned the most from Kay Cockerill. She just was such a driving force when I played or when I reported on the U.S. Girls Junior because she 
was like, okay, I, I, I was sitting there like, I actually had a phone conversation with her before I traveled to US Girls and just asked about her kind of journey and her career and advice that she gave me. And pretty much the advice that everyone gives me is you just kind of have to throw yourself out there. You have to do what you don't like. Um, I called tape shots of the US Women's Amateur for the first time. And you know, you, you just have to give interviews, you just have to do it. And but we, I remember we were rehearsing and we, I, I watched the two girls tee off and I like looked at the ball and I just kind of watched it land and sat there for a little bit. She goes, okay, go look at the ball. You got to go check the line, like, come on. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I just really appreciated how encouraging she was, but also how she was very specific in telling me what I need to improve upon, which I really appreciate. Like I get, it's my first time, but I wanna know how I can improve. I remember we were rehearsing again and it was Bailey Davis and Rose Zhang and I had Bailey Davis and she was like, she just texted to me. This is before we were on air. She said, hey, you sound a little down. Like just because your player is, you know, four down your match, you don't have to get down. You can still like talk with excitement <laughs> and stuff. And I was like, oh, like, thank you for telling me that. You know, it's such valuable advice and then you know she said I did great in my interviews and um you know I, I just I just love all of the advice she's given me but also encouragement um and then also just the two producers that I've worked with Rob Sharp and Brant Packer I mean Steve Burkowski he's like literally so good at his job yeah. and it's just been amazing to be able to look up to like a whole new set of people mm -hmm. yeah Burko knows everybody uh, on the college scene, the junior scene, I mean, everything in golf, I mean, period. He is, uh, he is super and K is one. I mean, they're all, yeah, what a great team for sure. I, yeah, the interview portion for sure, right, right when they're, uh, they're calling down to you, right? And, and it's like, okay, you're on. And like, your heart goes into your throat for just one second, probably, right? You're like, okay, like, where am I going to go? How many questions do I have? Uh, it's a lot of, it's a little, is it more nerve wracking to, to give your first interview on camera or, or make a five footer at the Augusta National Women's Amateur? Probably the five footer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think what has helped me with my interviews on air is the questions that I ask in the press conference when I'm writing. I found that I'm pretty good at giving answers, but a lot hard, it's a lot more difficult for me to ask a good question. So then that practice really helped. And then when I went on air, the producer's really good about, okay, you have two questions and you generally ask, you know, a key turning point or a shot they hit. So you have an idea of the questions you're going to ask. And as long as you just kind of, you can fake it till you make it a little bit with that. You just got to sound confident and, you know, do a good job. Just don't ask the question, how did you feel? That's the one question we're not supposed to ask. And I haven't asked that yet. Um, so I guess that's good. <laughs> no, well, I'm going to ask you, how did you feel? I'm going to, I'm going to ask you something I should, but, uh, you know, talking kind of moving on to the, you know, the Augusta National Women's Amateur, we all saw you on, uh, on national TV there back in April. Uh, you, you had a heck of a run. You finished earlier than, than the leaders. And you, you came in and you said, uh, you know, you signed your scorecard after the final round. You ran over to Coach Joelle and you gave her a yardage book and you said, hey, I got all the pins marked for, you know, for next year, for whoever's playing next year and, uh, you know, with your teammates. And 
she looked at you and pointed at the scoreboard and said, you better hang on to that book. You're going to go into a playoff. <laughs> I mean, talk about the emotional roller coaster of, of finishing and having your mom caddy for you and that whole experience that we witnessed. I think it was one of the biggest lessons I learned as a competitive athlete. And you learn it all the time, you know, when you, you know, bogey the last, last couple holes and you think you were out of it and then you realize, oh shoot, you know, I could have had a top five finish or I could have been pretty close to the lead if I just hung on a little more. So you're always kind of learning that you're never out of it, even when you really think you are out of it. And that was a situation where I played really good golf and I had just missed my birdie putt on the 17th hole, made a great up and down and was like, okay, I got to one over. I feel like I sh- if to win or to get into a playoff, I needed to get to even. And I was just satisfied with the round. And normally, you know, people don't drop four or five shots, but I think going into that playoff, it was really hard for me to get back into the zone because I was just so proud of what I had done. And now I have to realign my expectations and my goals. And it almost didn't even feel real. Like, oh my gosh, I, I could, I could win this tournament. What in the world? So it, it was definitely a roller coaster of emotions in the sense of how do I get back into the zone after almost, I don't want to say checking out because that's a lame term. <laughs> um, but just being satisfied and content with my tournament. And yeah, I just think it was a really, a really good lesson for me that to, to know that you're never out of it, to, to watch the leaderboard, you know, see until the 17th, 18th hole. Okay. No playoff. I'm, I'm good. I can be, you know, ready, but just kind of keeping that mindset when you're, when you're close to the top, because you literally don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It's it is a a lot of mental gymnastics that go on out there on the golf course, especially at a place like Augusta National, as well as you you know you've seen the Masters uh, so many years. You saw your you saw Jennifer Cupshow uh, take that title a few years ago as well, and uh, for sure. Well, you you certainly acquitted yourself very well there, and and uh, your attitude is something to uh, something to behold, really. Um, and you mentioned you know I, I talked a little bit before about passing your yardage book on to your teammates, one of your teammates who you played uh, recently on the Curtis Cup with, Rachel Keene. Uh, talk to us about that relationship you have with her and, and how special it was to go over to Wales and, and play the Curtis Cup and not only play and be a, you know, represent the United States, one of eight uh, women to do that, but to win the Curtis Cup. It was so special, especially to be there with Rachel. I think I first met her when she was 12 at the Vicky DeSantis. Um, and I remember because my mom looked at her mom was like, Oh, you got a Wake Forest hat on because obviously Brenda Keene went to Wake. He's like, you have a Wake Forest hat on. And we just immediately connected and kind of developed a relationship over time. But she, she just has so much energy. If there's someone who's a team player, it's Rachel. And I mean, I, I was just lucky to, to be there with her and to play with her it was really special to have our goals achieved by making the Curtis cup. It's the biggest dream you can have as an amateur and then to play together and then to win together as well. We won one of our matches and then we won as a team was really special. It, 
Yeah, you, you, but you, you look back on the memories. Honestly, I look back on the memories and yes, we won. It's like so incredible. Um, but I, I just look at our camaraderie and the energy we had and our relationship with the caddies were awesome because they were all around our age. So we we're just joking around. Like we just had such good energy and just winning on top of that just makes it even better. We, we did this TikTok um, and I'm not into TikTok. So like, I didn't know this was a trend, but uh, Mega Gane's and Rachel Keene, I think they're both like TikTok famous. So they were a little more aware of, of what was going on, but there's this TikTok where you go, um, what would we do if we didn't win? And, and there's like a pause and then you win. And the next clip is you with the trophy saying, I guess I'll never know. <laughs> so um, That's a good one. Yeah, it, it was a good one. And we, so we made it like, well, now we got to win or else it's going to be a little awkward. We just have to delete this clip. Um, so, but those, those videos and memories are, I mean, they'll all cherish it for life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll have to say being a, a Walker cup past participant myself, understanding that, that team camaraderie and yeah, it's uh, the team wins are definitely better than individual wins. I will have to say, uh, and uh, yeah, it certainly sounds like you, you feel the same way on that. Um, uh, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit now. I mean, you talk about the Curtis Cup, you know, and 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 you know your decision not to turn pro, right? And and which is with somebody on your trajectory, a lot of people, you know, maybe scratch their heads. Why why did she go that way? And you wrote a a, a great piece on golfchannel.com about this. And, and uh, there was one quote in there. And if I could actually read just, I want to read a, a, a small bit of this because I, I think it's, it's, it's a really powerful statement by you. And you know, this, is, this is your words. Uh, questions of how do I move forward occasionally cross my mind. It's scary to leave one thing I've always dreamed of and suddenly change course. But that too is life. Life is never certain. As I've continued to reflect, I've come to embrace this uncertainty. There is so much beauty written in the uncertain. And I thought that was a very powerful statement. There's so much beauty written in the uncertain. Can you expound on that a little bit? And, and what really does that mean to you? Yeah, of course. It really hits home for me because ever since I was a kid, I mean, I played soccer and I told my mom, okay, I want to be a professional soccer player. And then I decided not to play soccer anymore. Okay, I want to be a professional golfer. So I always had a dream. Like if I was going to do something, I was going to do something to its mastery level. That was just how my brain worked. And I think because of the because of how goal oriented I was, and that made me really successful. But I think I often was in this space of the future too much, too much glorifying, you know, how great professional life was going to be too much thinking about what would happen if I won or did this. And it's, it's great. Like having those dreams and, and thinking about the future is great of what, what gets you up in the morning, what gets you to go practice because you remember your dreams and your goals. And you're like, okay, this is why I'm, you know, putting in the rain. Right. Um, but I think I have a habit of just overemphasizing the future. And so this statement is just very contradictory to how I looked at life, not all the time, but in certain moments in my life and a lot of moments in my life. And I, 
and then when I decided not to turn pro and I had this very clear of obviously, you know, it's a straight, it's a straight line, you know, we're not having any down, any down lines of how my life was going to go. I was, I get a college scholarship. I got that. And then I was going to play well in college. And then I was going to turn pro and I was going to do well. <laughs> like there was just a line and I always knew that. Right. And then of course, uh, God changed course for me. And he was like, you got to stop thinking about this because I have way cooler things planned for you. And when I wrote that piece, I literally did not know what I was going to be doing with my life at all. Like I could not tell you what I was be doing five years from now. And I really had to sit and reflect on that and recognize the beauty in that. And so thank you for sharing that paragraph because, um, yeah, it, it does mean a lot to me. You're very, uh, very keen writer. I mean, you you have a great perspective, I think on the game and on life and, uh, yeah, the importance of kind of putting golf where it belongs in the priority list. And uh, I think it takes a it takes a big person to do that. Um, do you see yourself, you know, you know, professional golf could always be there, right? And, you know, if you ever wanted to go back and do it, because, you know, you obviously certainly have the talent to do it. But do you see yourself now playing on five or six Curtis Cup teams or more, uh, you know, kind of being that uh, maybe the, the Stuart Hagestad of the female uh, genre, right? Like, like, do you see yourself maybe doing that alongside all these other things that you get to do? If I could, I, I, I would. Like, if I had the opportunity to do that, I would. I mean, I'm doing the best I can to kind of keep my game sharp. Obviously, I'm not playing a lot of competitive tournaments. So, you know, I'm just really navigating that. Also. I'm not setting goals in that area. Um, obviously, you know, the, there's a Curtis Cup next summer and I'm going to do what I can to try to make that team. If I don't, at least I tried, you know. Um, at first, I wasn't sure if I was going to even try. I was like, what am I doing? I freaking love competitive golf. <laughs> like it's so, it's, you know, amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I'm navigating that currently. So uh, I'll have to keep you updated on, cool, um, cool. We'll, we'll on have how to my have game you, is. We'll have to have you back in the future for sure on that. Uh, just a couple more questions. You've been gracious with your time, and I'll let you go. Um, our Silver Club Golfing Society is all about uh, competitive golf. Our members consist of all single-digit handicaps plus handicaps, and we set up events all around the country. Uh, and, and these people have day jobs just like just like you now. And And what would you suggest if there is one or two – things that that you focus on now that maybe you wouldn't have as much time to work on your game but to try to keep it sharp like people with day jobs what sort of things would you suggest to work on in your game top one or two things that you would work on that's a great question I actually was just talking with my coach about it because I think when you don't have as much time to work on your game you need to play to your strengths that was something that my strengths have always been my irons. I'm irons. Like I, I can hit a dart with my five iron um, when, you know, everything's timed up over the summer. I was focused a little too much on my weaknesses. Um, I was like not hitting balls a lot. And I was really trying to hammer putting and like really work on putting. And then I noticed that my irons were off. So then I, I just felt like my game was not really where I wanted it to be. And obviously wasn't practicing as much. So I think when you're we don't have as much time to really play your strength. So I'm, if I have 30 minutes, I'm on the range um, because I know that I can 
hit 16 greens and I know I can, my, you know, percentages in college, they've always been better than average when it came to, you know, hitting a five iron on like close to the flag or, or an eight iron. So I can do that. And then, um, I'll do a little bit. I, you know, I'm, I, I'll do a little bit of chipping, but I, I mainly do, we'll do iron play ball striking and, you know, a little bit of short putting speed, just kind of keeping that general area. But so I would say biggest tip is practice, keep honing your strengths because if you can keep your strength, you're always going to stay pretty consistent. Cool. That's, that's great advice. Great advice. All right. Last thing. So you mentioned just a moment ago that, you know, when you wrote that piece uh, that I outlined a moment ago, that you didn't know where your life would go, what everything would be. If you had a crystal ball and you wanted to go five, 10 years down the line, what would be the best job or the, the best position in life that you could see yourself being in? Yeah, I guess I can only think of what the best position would be like now. I obviously don't know what is going to come, you know, in in 10 years or now, but I I have just loved doing what I've been doing now. Um when when it comes to writing and broadcasting, and if I could do both, if I could be in the booth, um and and, and if I could go to the Olympics, and um if i could report on majors like that is if i have some career goals it's those and yeah so if i had a crystal ball you know we'll see if, if i get there <laughs> oh cool well that's great look look we wish you all the luck in the world in achieving all those goals we'll keep keep reading your stuff we'll keep watching you and listening for you and uh and best of luck in grad school and uh, we'll we'll connect again soon Thank you so much. Thanks to Amelia for joining us today on the Silver Club Podcast. Great insight from a current star in the game. Don't forget to subscribe and download all of our 50-plus episodes of our Silver Club Podcast wherever you get your podcast. And keep tabs on us at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. And you can see everywhere we get to go in the world of golf with our competitive amateur society. Thanks so much for listening to this Silver Club podcast, and we'll bring you another one real soon.